The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories for many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life. I am host Leah Mattinson and I am joined as usual uh, by my wonderful co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. Before I pass off the mic this week to uh, Howard, I want to just share a little uh, story of something that happened this week. We invite you to think about how your life is now and how is it you would like yourself to be in your life. And I had this really wonderful opportunity this weekend uh, to celebrate a friend's 50th birthday. And during this 50th birthday party, what he started out the weekend doing was going for a 10 kilometer run. (laughs) So uh, we were all invited to join him. Unfortunately, I live in a completely different city, so I couldn't. But what he did was he, he went on the run and he provided us video footage of the run afterwards. And his little snippet just said, oh, like I ran this run in 56 minutes and it could have taken me like an hour three or an hour four minutes I really surprised myself so as I just watched him share this little this little bit um, of his life I was inspired really to think about well you know are there things that I've I've been sitting on my laurels a little bit about lately are there things that I could be differently doing health-wise and and so it inspired me to think about what I might want to take up for the next um, three weeks and getting back in the saddle with uh, wellness myself. So it was just a wonderful thing. And I want to invite our listeners to think about, are there areas of your life where you think, oh, there's somebody that's inspired me a little bit, that maybe I could take what I've seen as inspiration and actually turn it into something actionable. Uh, so just wanted to share that. Uh, Howard, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing great. And that's interesting. And uh, I don't know whether you realized it, but in many ways, it's a perfect segue to our guest um, because our guest today is not just a medical doctor, but he's a man who will inspire, I believe. Many of our listeners has inspired many people with his feats, particularly in the area of physical activity and pushing himself um, I wouldn't say beyond the limit, but certainly to the limit. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Andres Bolter. Andres, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Albert. Yeah, and uh, I should tell our listeners, um, in the interests of uh, total honesty and divulgence, um, I am working with Andres on a very special book. Uh, it's tentatively called... 
um, reach beyond the art of purposeful living. And when you hear Andre's story, uh, which we'll get in very shortly, you'll understand that his philosophy of challenging yourself at any age, we're going to say that at any age, is central to a meaningful and purposeful life, and it turns out to a healthy one too. Andres, you come from South Africa originally. Just give us a little bit of background because your background is relevant to the story. Well, I, I emigrated to Canada in 1990 um, in general practice surgery and uh, basically focused more on how you can change your life by using natural ways uh, to achieve it and to motivate people to basically start looking at themselves and uh, to make a change, even how small it is over time, it will become much bigger and they will have the benefits for it. So before yeah, yeah. you before you jumped into the whole lifestyle as medicine sort of idea, Andres, and before you emigrated, where did, where did you come from and what was your like life where where you came from? Well, I I grew up in South Africa. Just to short background, uh, my mother died when I was two years old, and my dad when I was seventeen. So actually, from seventeen, I was basically on my own. <clears throat> Uh, originally, uh, I wanted to be a farmer, and my brother <laughs> decided to take over the farm, so uh, I decided to do medicine to further to help people and hopefully to change people's lives. And I started practicing medicine, and uh, my whole career started in South Africa and I had the opportunity to emigrate to Canada in 1990. Yeah, and um, there's much more to the background. Perhaps we'll get to it later. But certainly, um, although materially you might have many of the things, there are many things that you lacked uh, because of that adversity, losing your mom at two, your dad at 17. And also, you had a wonderful surrogate mom who, uh, interestingly enough, was a black lady. And remember, we're talking about apartheid. And during this time, you know, blacks and whites did not mix. Um, well, that may have been true in the city, but where you lived, uh, you were definitely colorblind, as it were, and, and embraced. I know, because we've talked about this, you embraced people of all color. And in fact, your surrogate mom, after your uh, mom died, uh, was a wonderful black lady. And tragically, she died when you were only five. So you always had three parents uh, die on you. So very difficult. What do you think that adversity did for you? No, it, it, firstly, I want to, to mention that all my friends uh, was uh, the black kids on the farm. So mm. they were my friends, and uh, we did things together. And uh, basically, uh, from the age of two, I was surrounded uh, by mainly other colored people, and... Uh, I wouldn't say it changed my view because I didn't have a view. I thought everybody was the same, irrespective of your color. And uh, I just think that motivated me to see that every person on this earth is basically the same. It doesn't matter what your color is. It's maybe your philosophy is a, little, a bit different, but that 
motivate me to become a doctor and to change people's lives in that manner. Yeah, I just think it's absolutely incredible because you make it sound like it's a simple thing. Well, becoming a doctor, first of all, is just like that that requires an enormous amount of dedication. And and, and being a farmer, I will say, also requires a, an enormous amount of dedication. Being a farmer's daughter, I can say that <laughs> from, my, yeah. from my experience. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I, and I, so, I think I learned. So, so how did you – oh, go ahead. Sorry, Andres. I, I think I learned – you know, the importance of simple things uh, if you live on a farm and uh, you also experience more adversity on a farm, you know, your animals die and uh, I had an unfortunate situation. Uh, a black kid died when me and my brother were hunting and that affected me tremendously, you know, his death and uh, actually shaped my views about life early in age. You know, I was 12, my brother was 14 when this accident happened and uh, I realized the mortality of anybody at any age. So that influenced me quite, quite a lot as well. And, and and I'd like to just to cap that story because it's an incredible story. So um, you were playing, you and your brother were playing with your, your friends and um, your, the bro- your brother was climbing down some steps. He had a gun in his hand, it went off and it killed one of your black friends. And the local judiciary lawyers or whatever wanted the black kids to testify against your brother and say, oh, he did it deliberately, this is a racial crime. And what did they do? Yeah, basically they tried the kids uh, to lie. And uh, as the, the readers will read my book, uh, basically kids don't lie. Kids tell the story. And my brother was actually acquitted, but was a lengthy court case and quite traumatic to me and uh, my father at the time and my brother. So that affect me tremendously, you know, the mortality and, and not that the kid was black, it's just because he was my friend, that he died tragically out of an accident that happened and it was just unfortunate uh, how it happened, but it did happen and uh, that shows, you know, at that time about the apartheid regime and I don't know, because we were friends with the blacks at the white policeman tried to tell the kids what to tell, but it ended all the work out the way it was supposed to work out. Yeah, that's just, we talk so much about moral intelligence on this show, and <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I, it, I, I'm just always, and I am always floored at the amount of adults that encourage, um, like, just coloring the truth, and, and so the whole, that being able, being in a young person's body and watching adults who you're supposed to be able to, you know, rely on and trust the police uh, to, you know, to kind of be the the voice of reason or to be protecting everybody and then to have this completely different experience. Um, just it's so many pieces to put together when you're so young. I mean, I think it's a lot of pieces to put together when you're an adult, but never mind being just this young, very young, young man and your brother as well. And, and so your dad was still around at that time. 
Um, yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. my dad died when I was 17, so that time I was uh, 12, my brother was 14. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my dad was like me, he was very kind, mm-hmm. uh, he's good in everybody, and, you know, mm-hmm. of course he, he wanted the right thing to happen, you know, and, and we, we, we basically ran home and uh, was distraught and tell my brother of my dad what happened you know of course my brother was very upset because the bullet came out of his rifle and mm-hmm. we were all up in the sand bales you know hunting pigeons like all kids mm-hmm. do you know and uh, it was just tragic but of, of course it affected my dad's life as well and uh, of course your father wants to protect you at all costs and uh my brother was innocent, but luckily uh, the right thing prevailed. You know. Yeah, I want to talk to you. Let's let's talk about what happened. Your dad died, and I know that affected you enormously. But then you found, and it really impacted your ability to study and focus. And uh, I know that you you're a smart guy, but faced with the grief that you had. I know that you struggled a lot. Um, but sports and physical activity and rugby in particular helped you enormously, right? Yeah, the, the thing is I was always a keen sportsman. My dad always followed with keen interest and rugby was my passion, you know, thinking of playing for South Africa. And then my dad passed away when I was in grade 11 and uh, I just seen... Um, a woman just before I went on the air with uh, panic anxiety attacks and uh, I could relate very well to it because that's what happened to me in grade 11 Uh, I I couldn't study I was you know had this panic attacks and I left school one day and was admitted to the hospital and my marks at school deteriorate dramatically I start playing chess in the middle of the night with my best friend that I'm still after 40 years still friends and <laughs> my my school marks basically slide and uh, I I didn't have a university exemption and uh, went to the military and came back uh, to the school and they say I was too old and I, I basically rent a room in the at that time, it was called a boarding house. Today, it's called a guest house. And I stayed in this primitive room and studied all my set books and all my subjects, and I failed again. And I enrolled in a, a college to, to upgrade, and my aunt hired a math teacher, and then I basically passed my third try, and then I was off to university to do medicine, but I didn't have physics and science at school, so I failed my first year at university, and my brother, uh, of course, he wanted me to farm with him, and said, what am I going to do? He, he knew I only wanted to play rugby, but I didn't even play rugby in my first year, and I was fortunate enough to meet this brilliant young lady who was doing an honest degree in biochemistry, and she said to help me, and I majored in biochemistry, got a bachelor of science degree, and went on to become a doctor. So so what age were you, Andreas, when you met this young lady? I was uh, 21 years of age. 
So I just want to pick up on this because I think it's so important. We've talked about um, in many shows anxiety starting for kids when they're quite young, uh, this, you know, 16, 14, 16-year-old age. And so just imagining, and, and so for families to really hear this, uh, that that uh, if you're experiencing this in your family, this is your teenager. This is what your teenagers are going through. You know that, and it's a real thing. So it's a it's a real thing, and that having all these supports in place to get through it. You hung in for a very very long time. You know, from from 16 to 21 mm-hmm. before having relief from that. And I think it builds some character. I think also sometimes kids get lost in that. So um, so besides meeting the young lady and having this really close friend we just have a, a couple minutes till the break but were there other little um, just moments that happened that helped to um, just shore up your internal resources so you could just keep going through each day day to day basically as I put it before or said to Howard uh, I had this good friend and he taught me how to play chess to basically mm-hmm. to divert my anxiety to a different form of uh, enjoyment and mm-hmm. playing chess in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock, and the sport. The sport helped me tremendously to relieve my anxiety and to live out uh, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And you're being a little, uh, perhaps a little humble there, because I know your story, and it wasn't just sport helped you a bit. You really embraced the sport of rugby, and you threw everything into it, so much so that you became an outstanding player. And when you hear, when you read Andre's story, you'll see how much that sport gave him an outlet for his grief for his anxiety, for his depression. And I think partly it was physical activity and he trained harder than anyone else. He hit harder than anyone else on the field. He had no fear. I really believe that physical activity and what it meant to you was also a huge, huge part of your ability to work through this period of life. And then it set you up for what happened later in your life. Am I right? Yeah, that's 100% correct. You know, I, I played in grade 11 at the age of 16. I played for the province. And then at university, I played in the biggest rugby club in the world. It's got 100 teams to select players. I played for the first team. And uh, that gave me so much uh, relief uh, from my anxiety and, and gave me a purpose, you know, to focus mm-hmm. on something positive and have a... Yeah, and it also really was the platform because now you discovered physical fitness and pushing yourself beyond, you know, your limits. That was so important to you that it really sets up the next part of the incredible story, which we will get to immediately after the break on the other side on Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. 
will agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. We're joined this week by our fantastic, inspirational guest, Dr. Andreas Bota. Uh, Andreas, before the break, you were talking about just how um, really pursuing a healthy lifestyle and being super uber physically fit and involved in a very high performance sport, um, you know, got you ready for the next chapter in your life. So can we just pick up from kind of when you're about 21? What, how did you incorporate physical activity into kind of your, your life and, and your overall wellness? Well, at, uh, at 21, when I still suffered from anxiety or panic attacks is the same uh, same condition different terminology that I honestly think that a lot of parents and doctors don't can grasp how devastating it can be to your life to have a panic attack and miss or overlooked in society today um, I, I realize that that was my escape to a better life and gave me more purpose in life. And then um, when I started my medical degree, I realized that the rugby consumed too much of my time. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I, I changed from rugby to running. Mm-hmm. I started running marathons and... Uh, Ultimately, while I was still at university, ran. Um, most people that run knows about the, the Comrades Marathon. That's a 90-kilometer race. It's run from Petermaritzburg to Durban. I start running that and train up to 160 kilometers per week. And uh, subsequently, my best time for the 90 kilometers was 6 hours 53 minutes. And I ran that marathon nine times. So I I just changed from rugby that uh, that was training and uh, at a fixed 
schedule at running. You can run in your own time and whenever you you got time to run. I felt I could uh, focus better. I, my concentration was better. And my uh, marks at university actually soar from just a mediocre student to major in biochemistry and physiology before I went on to do medicine. Yeah, and, and by the way, for our listeners, 90 kilometers is about your, your average 60-mile run, um, you know, which is <laughs> pretty extreme. And I know that you continue to do that through your adult life. Um, uh, and then you took up some other sports, too, in an extreme way. I, <clears throat> firstly, I, I, I started cycling, and I thought, um, you know, to do something good, with the thing I really love, I uh, when I arrived in Grimshaw, Alberta, in the northern Alberta, there was no fitness facility. So I decided to cycle from Edin- uh, from Grimshaw to Edmonton, a, f- a distance of uh, 508 kilometers. I did it in 19 hours, 22 minutes, and raised all the funds and started a fitness facility in, in town here. And then... I decided, uh, because I've got a passion against uh, drug and alcohol abuse, I cycle across Canada, a distance of 7,000 kilometers in 28 days for the awareness for drug and alcohol abuse. And then in uh, 2001, I thought I will do something good for kids for cancer. I cycle from Prudhoe Bay, if people doesn't know, that's the top of North America, to Ushuaia, Terra del Fuga, to the bottom of South America, uh, in 139 days to raise money for kids for cancer. So I thought I can basically use my fitness for the better of, uh, you know, alcohol and drug abuse and for kids for cancer. That's just incredible. That's <laughs> that is a lot yep. of butt time on that seat. I'll tell you. <laughs> you must have had some. You must have had some great uh, pants on because I rode bike and ran a lot. So I know it's like that's a that's a lot of mileage. <laughs> right. So I'm curious in all this, Andreas. I just um, like how did you do? You have a family. Like how did you fit family time into all of the rest of the the shenanigans that you're up to? <laughs> Yeah, I've got uh, two fantastic uh, children, and <clears throat> I try to, um, with the lifestyle of obesity and addiction in the world, I thought, you know, to introduce my children to a different lifestyle, and uh, they support me through all my adventures and uh, I don't know if you just should mention, I, two years ago, I was uh, 63 years old. I cycled from South Africa to Nairobi, a distance of 6,500 kilometers in 54 days, and climbed Kilimanjaro with my, my children, uh, cool. which was a fantastic uh, <laughs> experience for me and for them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, most people want to take their kids to Disney World, but you take yours up a mountain and on a 6,500-kilometer bike ride. No, it, it is 
unbelievable. If you really think, and I hope the listeners are really thinking about this, what does it take? And I know because I've helped Andres with his book, that bike ride, and one we focus on, is the bike ride from the tip, the top of North America to the tip of South America. How many kilometers is that, Andres? How many thousand? Uh, 20,000 kilometers, which you did in like 139 days. That was an amazing, an amazing feat, incredible journey with lots of amazing incidents. Honestly, the book's worth getting just to read about that. (laughs) That that is, you know, it's mind-blowing, really. It's mind-blowing. One question. When you are on these huge rides and you're trying to get in 250 kilometers a day what do you think about i I think basically about life and uh, basically how minute we are and uh, the things that i can do and to inspire other people to make a difference in their lives i mean that's my whole focus in life is to change people in even a, the smallest way to make their life a little better, you know. Right, and we also want to just acknowledge anyone who is taking their kids to Disneyland. That's also a really <laughs> good thing to do. <laughs> so, Indeed, so don't but, discount uh, that as a good idea. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I just think that uh, society tried to overload kids with presents that's irrelevant and mm-hmm. doesn't do anything positive to them. It's, I think it's much better to do something with your children, something simple, and they remember that much more than the fancy presents you give them. Yes, totally I agree. Concur 100% with that. And they are, the memories uh, last for a lifetime, whereas the stuff sometimes you buy ends up in the garbage before the, before the presents unwrapped, <laughs> sadly, sadly. Uh, so so in doing all this wonderful stuff with your kids, like Kilimanjaro, I think that, like, so do you, in your book, do you describe not only, like, uh, the adventure of it, but do you break it down into how much it costs and how other people might be able to do kind of such a thing? Or do you give resources in the book? How, how does that work? No, the, the thing is what I want to do, uh, me and Howard, after this book, is, is basically a workbook to give people the tools how to to achieve things from start to finish. And uh, people think, uh, to put a small thing to climb Kilimanjaro, uh, for me it's, it's basically a small event, but for the... Uh, people in the street will think it's impossible for me to do. Firstly, it's going to cost too much money, and secondly, it's too much effort to get fit to do it. But uh, basically, if you've got the tools, it's actually not unachievable for the person, as I can put in light terms, in the street. Uh, the common person who hasn't got a lot of money uh, can achieve all this things that I achieve in my life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, you know, you started off playing rugby, but then you had to switch to running sort of ultra marathons, and then you added bike riding, and then you started climbing mountains. Uh, and I know the, the how you got into that, um, and you started climbing Mount 
uh, Kilimanjaro, correct? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I did. Uh, I started climbing when I was 46 years old, and um, and that's what I uh, want to emphasize in my workbook. And today is basically you have to have an open mind. I went to a funeral of a good friend of mine in 2000, and I asked uh, his wife and son, you know, just to change the subject. So what's your plans for the future? How do you see your future? And they said, they're going to climb Kilimanjaro. And I inquired if there's any possibility of I can join the expedition. And first, she informed me that all the spots had been taken for. And I said, put my name on the list. You know, if anybody cancel, I would like to consider to climb it. And, of course, somebody canceled, and she contacted me, and that was the first mountain I climbed when I was 46 years old. And then I changed the whole direction of my life. I uh, um, have the dream to climb the highest mountain on every continent on the world. Which meant climbing Mount Everest. Yeah, and then um, I set my sights to um, climb Mount Everest. And uh, what I want to tell the listeners, uh, one failure shouldn't kill your dream. I, mm. I attempt to climb the six highest mountain Choi Oyo twice, and I failed. And I didn't see it as a failure. I saw it as an opportunity to improve and to set my sets higher. And I set my sights for Mount Everest and uh, improved my fitness and uh, how to acclimatize better. I bought a high altitude tent and slept in this tent at simulate altitude to 25,000 feet for two months every night. Uh, to acclimatize my body to handle 29,000 feet. And I was fortunate enough to summit Mount Everest on my first attempt. Mm, wow. At, at the time, being the oldest Canadian to have done that. Yeah, I was uh, uh, 54 years of age when I summit uh, Mount Everest in 2006. I think it's very, it's just so... Um uh, neat that it's like the lessons that we learn as young people about about taking challenges that we fail at because you failed at some tests when you were a young man and you figured out a way to pass them and sometimes that's just perseverance you might you know and learning something new and that the people who have had a lot of success in their life have a lot of failure alongside of that and so this whole hero's journey that we really invite everyone to take is to thinking about how can I be a hero in my own life and where have I you know what are the things that I really wanted to do that excited me that would get me lit up and and that I would feel happy about and get goose bumpy about and that maybe those are, are challenging things but if we figure out new insights or wisdom or inspiration or strategies, tools, tricks, whatever they are, this workbook is going to be such a gift, I think, uh, for people to be able to not only look at, you know, like doing a, doing a trip to uh, Kilimanjaro, but it's also kind of just a, a lay book for looking at how do I tackle anything in my life. And that's that recasting yourself um, over and over again and be willing to adapt to the challenges that happen as they happen. Because lots of stuff we can't plan for. <laughs> uh, so it's like if you could plan for failure, you probably wouldn't fail. So what's so what's on next on your radar for you know exciting 
things? Like what else still gives you goosebumps? <laughs> no, that, you know, uh, I just uh, turned 65 yesterday. And um, mm-hmm. what I want to tell everybody, age is just a number. And mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to abandon your childhood dreams. You maybe just have to alter it a little bit. But uh, I think it's important, doesn't matter what age you have, you have to have a dream. You have to start with a dream. And then you have to start figuring out how I'm going to achieve my dream. And uh, you have to live every day to the fullest, you know, and to don't complain about your bad luck or your parents or society that you had such a raw deal in life. Um, you must make your own luck in a way, you know, and, and set your sights higher out of your comfort zone, you know. I, I think people that get too comfortable and uh, become complacent and become depressed on any age, you know, because they've got no ex- excitement in their life. And you don't need all this money to be excited about life. You know, I, I always try to set my sights higher. I just busy planning to climb Mount Everest for the second time in April this year. Yeah. And and I think this is just a fundamental life lesson um, where people more and more want to seek just comfort. That is not the way for fulfillment or happiness, I do not believe. Yeah, yeah a certain amount, obviously. But what Andres is, is the inspirational example that when you challenge yourself and push your limits, that is the ultimate satisfaction. And, you know, it's a huge lesson and it's actually supported by neuroscience, which shows that the brain really grows, in rela- literally grows, in relation to challenge. You know, sitting doing sudokus and crosswords in the comfort of your own home probably isn't going to do much to your brain. It really isn't. That's what the neuroscience says. And Leah, you are a great example of that because you have taken that trend in neuroscience and applied it to yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, <laughs> in, all, in all things at Huntington's Life Mastery, which is our big big baby, our big project, uh, we just really encourage people to light themselves up in their own life. And so when you were talking about, you know, be excited about what you're doing. And uh, one of the things I think people get animated or try to get animated about is watching other people's lives through TV and, you know, other media. And and really, you're not animated in your own life. It kind of takes you off track. And so we really focus on the like the, the day-to-day steps of how do you actually create this really great life. And sometimes it's the things that you do do, and sometimes it's also the things that you choose to not do anymore that cr- that create the time and energy and and uh, outlook and insight uh, that create time to be introspective. So, um, just really excited to hear about what are some of those tools and tricks that you have, Andreas. Yeah, and um, you know we we're right at the end of the segment, so let's save that to the other side where we will talk about what this really means practical implications and how listeners can begin to think about their own their own lives and how they can put some challenge and meaning into it so we'll cover that in the last section on the other side of master your life
your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. Co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with host Leah Mattinson, and today we're talking with an inspirational guest, Dr. Andres Bolta, who's been telling us about how adversity had shaped him, how he sought extreme challenge to give him fulfillment and service to the community uh, in many different ways. How he was the at one point the oldest Canadian to climb Mount Everest. He's climbed all the major peaks on each continent, um, and what this says about life. And in this segment, I think we really want to talk about that and start to get down to the core of what these principles are. Obviously, they are dreaming big and being resilient. What what else would you say, um, Andres, is, is the key to leading the sort of life that you have led and continue to lead? No, it's, uh, it's true that you say, first, you have to have a dream, but you have to make the first step. You know, and it doesn't matter how small, but always to go forward in a positive way and don't see the end result. And what people don't realize, you have to enjoy the journey. The summit, I I spent six years to plan and to train for Mount Everest. I spent 10 minutes on the summit. So you may as well enjoy the journey and the planning and to start from the beginning. You go on a holiday. The planning for a trip is the excitement, you know, and, and people must realize also the summit is, is a very small segment of the whole process of achieving something. And, and you always have to set yourself, even if you're busy with one dream, think of your next dream because as you come from a holiday, you're pretty flat, you know, people don't realize it, but you know, back in society, back in reality, you're going to become very stale and flat in no time if you've got no dream, 
anything on the horizon. You you always have to strive for for more. You know, you not that you self centered, but you you need to to make your life worthwhile living. You you plan to do an event to support society or yourself or your family, and uh, it's important to to have always something on the horizon. Right, and appreciation for actually, I'm glad you mentioned it took you six years to achieve that goal uh, because people can get in their mind, oh, he just got all this done, it happened so fast, and da-da-da-da-da. And the truth is <laughs> that this, these are these are pretty big, hairy, audacious goals. They're, you know, the things <laughs> that, that take more than one or two days to, you know, uh, put together. And I heard this really great uh, statement this just this past week at this birthday party, and a fella said, we don't even talk about having goals anymore uh, in our groups that we work with what we talk about is having a vision and that we just take steps toward the vision every single day and he said the only thing is that we haven't quite figured out when you when you have a vision and you're taking these baby steps is when it is you're supposed to celebrate because traditionally when you set a goal and you reach it right that everyone goes Woo! and there's a celebration but but with this new idea of it being a vision and really it's these daily actionable steps that take us closer and closer to um, to the achievement of the bigger overall vision or dream, uh, but I love that idea because I thought, well, you know, actually, then you can celebrate every day, which I'm a fan of that idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to tell people I I enjoy my retirement now. You know, I'm working and I enjoy my. It's not one day you're going to enjoy retirement from today. You have to enjoy every minute of your life, and as you go along, you. You must appreciate the sunset every day because you don't know if you're going to get another sunset tomorrow. So I think it's, it's important for everybody to try and be happy every day and see the good in life. And it's not the big goals. I mean, I feel pretty small on the summit of Mount Everest, you know. It's not that there's this elation, you know. I achieve this wonderful thing to be on the Everest. It's it's a whole process, and then there's sacrifices along the way as well that I want to tell the listeners. You know, I had severe frostbite and I lost four toes of my ear and my thumb, and there's a price to pay on everything in life. Nothing is free, so there's going to come setbacks, but. You have to accept the setbacks, and you have to persevere in spite of the setbacks, you know. I didn't say, no, I climbed Mount Everest, I lost four toes and my thumb and part of my ear. Now I'm going to give up. I'm not going to continue with my dream. You know, you have to face that adversity and, and see it as basically a stepping stone to something bigger. And And... A couple of things, I think. The 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 side, the magnitude of the dream, uh, I think is is really important. And I know Andres, and he's talking about doing all these incredible things. Andres is an incredibly humble guy. He gets to the top of a mountain. He isn't tweeting how awesome he is. Because frankly, when you're at twenty nine thousand feet looking down, it's not you who you think is awesome. And I think. The size of the goal, and I also think it being related to natural phenomena and beauty and the natural world really is humbling. 
I mean, yes, you're satisfied you've met a goal, but it's humbling. And I think that's a big part of setting big dreams like this. Would you not agree, Andres? I agree, you know, but uh, I uh, want to tell everybody, everybody's got his own Mount Everest to climb. How mm-hmm. big, how small, it's important. Any goal is important. It's just persevere to achieve that goal and then set your sights a little higher. You know, I, I didn't climb Mount Everest. On the, I had to start off with Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. what the listeners must focus on, just set a, a small dream for yourself that you that give you confidence, feel good about yourself, not that you're this great or whatever you achieve, but it gives you self-confidence and it makes you feel better about yourself. And that's what it's all about, <clears throat> your self-confidence in yourself and it makes you a better person for yourself, not for this fantastic achievement that you achieve. Mm-hmm. The achievement is, is the smallest thing is, is what you learn from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not your comparison to other people. I love that. I think that's just so uh, appropriate because lots of people aren't aren't going to be on the okay. Kilimanjaro thing. Mm-hmm. And sure. also because, I mean, you're, you, of course, would see this in your day-to-day life because you're a doctor and you have a practice. And, you know, so you see people that are a long way, a long way off from actually physically climbing uh, <laughs> Kilimanjaro. But, the, but their, their mountain that they, they're climbing might be even higher um, and tougher. And a longer road and, and require a lot of caregiving and a lot of giving outside of themselves. Would you agree with that? I agree 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> I can just uh, mention one mm. example. About six months ago, I saw a gentleman, he's in his 40s, his blood sugar is in the 20s, yeah. his blood pressure is out of control, he weighs 405 pounds. And I maybe wasn't so politically correct, and I told him, you know, in no uncertain terms, you have to listen to me. You have to do what I tell you. Otherwise, you'll pay the price. You're going to die, I told him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, take the prescription and see me in a month and see what you can do. I didn't see this gentleman for six months. He walked in my office six months later. He lost 146 pounds. As he said, his mother told him, you're not two people anymore. You're one person. <laughs> and uh, this guy, I said, what happened? He said, you were so angry and blunt with me. I decided to pitch a tent. He chopped wood. He hunt. He ate moose. And... Uh, he came to see me and, and thanked me and said he's going to work. He applied for it, for work and he found a job and he's going to work. And that made me feel good. But this person basically took me to task and started doing something for himself. And it's amazing what you can do if you put your heart and soul into it, you know. Yeah, and hearing, I think hearing stuff from somebody that you know actually really cares about you is completely different than somebody mm-hmm. sharing an opinion just as they walk by on the street. So obviously that um, patient of yours knew how much you cared about him because that's where your anger would come from, um, is a genuine deep care and concern for that person's health. And maybe they'd never felt like that before. Maybe they've never felt like anyone cared at that level before. So I think that's just, that is, that is as incredible as anything <laughs> that you've climbed. <laughs> 
No, it, in, yeah, my mind, in my all mind, in my mind, it's all it about is, yeah. is to make small yeah. changes in one person's right. life. But the people see, I'm 65. I get up at six o'clock in the morning and then go to the gym for two and a half hours before I start working. And if I'm maybe five minutes later, ask me, oh, did you sleep in? I said, no, I just come right. from the gym. Uh, sorry, I'm a little bit late, but I didn't see you in the gym. So then they, they can relate to you. And uh, I think they, they listen to me a little bit more attentive. But if I work... 405 pounds, smoke cigarettes, and in the bar every night, I don't think they will listen to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know. I think that's right, and I think it's courageous of you. Uh, and, you know, we know about the political correctness climate in, in Madison, um, which takes away for a lot of practitioners authenticity and their willingness to be authentic and blunt like you are, but clearly. Clearly, that is a critical part of, of medicine uh, and, and giving medical care. Absolutely. So I really, th- as, as Leah said, that, yeah, that's almost as great as, as climbing Everest. It's in a different way, but it's just as important. It's much more, oh, I won't say more rewarding, but very rewarding to see that you make a little change in somebody's life. And he's basically very happy about it and appreciative to you, you know, and tell you, thank you for making a change in my life, even if you're blunt, you know, um, that it would put it a trick, you know, that, uh, that somebody can appreciate what you offer them and accept it and do something about it. So, Andreas, I'm just curious. It sounds like you're so busy that you <laughs> you might not have much time to sleep. And in terms of <laughs> in terms of wellness, what is it that you do just in the last couple of minutes that uh, you know in the other areas of your life to keep you well besides exercise? Uh, basically, you know, uh, I read uh, about positive events. I don't watch too much news. Uh, I try to follow uh, not a very strict diet, but a clean diet and uh, associate with positive people and try to phone one positive person per week to have a positive conversation with it and to set goals every week and to see if I achieve that goals. So I think it's important to to have a, not a rigid, but a, a lifestyle that suits you and to keep accountable to yourself and that's what people is not very good at is to be accountable to yourself and the only way to have it is to have a diary and to mm-hmm. to make notes about your progress and to be accountable see why didn't I achieve this week what I set out to do yeah, accountability is obviously very, very, very important. So you need to build that into your into your life. And uh, just before we have we, we have to wrap up here, um, those of you interested in finding more about Andres and the book and the workbook, um, his website is dr. Dr. Andres A N D R I E S Bota B O T H A dot com. And as I say, you can find out more about the books that he's been talking about, his incredible adventures, and his workbook to help you have incredible ventures. Um, Leah, Leah, last uh, comment from you. Well, I'm just so excited to hear him talking about journaling because I think that's we promote that 
um, all the time that we want people to really write down, you know, where it is in their life and where it is that they want to be. So take a minute uh, to take the doc's advice and because it's all free, there's no medication required for this one. <laughs> just And just make, you know, make some notes for yourself and see where it is really, you know, that you want to be and take the, some of those baby steps. That'd be just fantastic. And we'd love to hear about that. Great. So thank you so much, Andres, for being on our show. Uh, we'll keep following your exploits yes. uh, and your inspiration. <laughs> and uh, Leah and I will look forward to seeing and uh, connecting again with our listeners next time on Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life.